Luke wrote two books in the Bible. Volume one is Luke's Gospel. Volume two is the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to link the two today. So Luke chapter one. These verses are a little bit like a a preface to the whole of uh, Luke and Acts uh, together. In so much, Luke writes, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been uh, taught. And then, of course, Luke goes on and he writes all about what Jesus said and did, that we might have certainty. Turn to the very end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and we're going to read the last section from verse 44 to the end. This time Jesus is speaking. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now, you'd love just to flip over the page and see the Acts of the Apostles, but John comes in between. Sam will tell us why. I don't think anyone knows. And let's read the beginning of book two. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In the first book, that's the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Heavenly Father God, thank you and praise you for the joy that it is to be here together meeting on this first Sunday of the new year as a church family around your word and in your spirit and looking onto the person of Jesus. Father God, I pray that you be with us now. May we enjoy what we learn today from you and may we leave here feeling confident and certain in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in your strong name. Amen. Well, as we dwell on the fact... Um, that uh, new year has started, I wonder, as you sit here this morning, how you feel about that. And it's not an unhelpful question for us to consider as we start this new year together as a church. And and as as cliche as it may be, perhaps, starting a sermon on the first Sunday of the, the new year in that way, this new year does give us an opportunity to pause and reflect and take stock. And I know that we all fall into different camps when it comes to answering that question in terms of how we feel about this new year. For some of us, uh, the year is stretching out beyond us, and it perhaps fills us with dread. As we think about the year that's passed, as we think about some of the hurdles and wars that we've fought and lost, and the ones that we've still yet to get through, It is very possible that the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve just introduced another 365-day cycle of fear and worry. For some of us here, maybe we're excited about the new year. You see it stretching out ahead of you, filled with all its possibilities and its untapped potential, and you can't wait to sink your teeth into it. I think perhaps for most of us, though, we're probably somewhere in between knowing that there are good things to get involved in, exciting things to happen, good things planned. And yet there is the knowledge that every year brings its own heartache and pain and uncertainty. And the stark truth is, as we all sit here this morning, whatever we've been through, however we view the year gone or the year to come, the truth is we really have very little idea what it holds for us. Whether we're glass half full or glass half empty or no glass at all, we really have no idea what is going to happen. Not really. We face a year full of remarkable uncertainty. And not just individually is that true, but but it's true for us as a nation, isn't it? And as a world. Consider Brexit, as Robin has prayed for. No one has any idea how that is going to work out. Will we have a second referendum? Will Theresa May last till February? Will the government fail? Will Brexit happen at all? And if it does, will it be the apocalypse or paradise? Commentator after commentator who are paid to really work these things out will say they have no idea. Consider us as individuals. In this church family, across the ages and stages of abundant life, there are hundreds of things planned. Hundreds of dreams we are desperate to fulfill, and yet none of us if we're really honest with ourselves, have any idea whether they will happen or whether they won't. Consider the spiritual state of our country, the ongoing tensions and wars across the world, the political unrest and dissatisfaction in Europe and America. We don't really have any idea how these things are going to pan out. We have no idea what this year looks like. We are facing a year of real uncertainty. As one broadsheet columnist wrote on New Year's Day in his predictions for the year column, the one thing we can be sure of is that plenty of things will happen and very little of it will have been foreseen by anyone. How very true. 
The one thing we can be certain about, in other words, is that nothing about this year is certain. And if we're honest, that's, that's a scary prospect. But the stark truth is that we look into a year, as with any year in human history, with real uncertainty. What we wouldn't give for us to be certain about something. Anything. Well, what a joy it is to be able to say this morning that in fact we really can be certain about something. And not just anything. For I would love us all to go away from this service, holding fast to one fundamental truth as we enter this year of unknowns and uncertainty, and that is that we can have certainty, and that certainty is found in none other than in the life, death, resurrection, and the ongoing work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded in the words of the gospel writers and the apostles. And it is with that certainty... With that kind of gospel certainty in Jesus, that certainty and trust in the words that speak about him, that we approach the book of Acts this morning. For as we will see today, it is that gospel certainty in the words that speak of Jesus and the words and work of Jesus himself that the whole of the book of Acts is built on. As Robin said, over the next uh, term in the mornings, we'll be looking at Acts of the Apostles as our motto series. That is, as he explained, that the series that we'll be focusing on this year as a whole church family. The series we'll be studying together on Sunday mornings and across the Chalmers and Redeemer small groups. And this morning, before we properly get into Acts next week, and, and Rog will introduce the series proper to us next week, it is helpful for us to get a bit of a background as to what it's all about as a book. For, as Robin said, what is absolutely necessary to understand about Acts is that it does not stand alone. Acts is written by Luke, the the good doctor, but it isn't his first book in the New Testament. His first book is, of course, his gospel account, the the gospel of Luke, the the gospel that talks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and these two books, the, the gospel and the Acts of the Apostles, they come as a pair And it's paramount that we see that this morning, for if we don't understand what Luke is saying in his gospel, then we we don't have a good handle on what he's trying to do in Acts. And uh, we see the link between these two books very, very clearly in the opening verses of both books that Robin read to us this morning. And it's worth doing this properly again, even if you know it to be true. It's good to do this well. Just turn with me to Acts 1. As Robin said, the annoying thing about today is that you're going to be flicking through um, many, many different parts of, of, of this small section of the Bible. Forgive me for that. Sorry that John's right in the middle. That is a bit frustrating, um, but um, God in his wisdom has ordained it that way, so I'm not complaining. So Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That ties Acts, doesn't it, definitively into Luke's first book, the the Gospel of Luke. Acts, therefore, is a sequel. Or or better yet, Acts is a continuation of what Luke has started in his Gospel. In other words, Luke's Gospel is not the end. The, The death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus isn't the end of Jesus' story. It seems that the, the, the fact that Acts was written at all, that there is unfinished business to attend to. In his first book, says Luke, he, he detailed what Jesus began to do. By implication, Acts carries that process on in what Jesus is continuing to do. 
and teach. But before we head into what that unfinished business of Jesus looks like, and and that's what the whole of the series of Acts starting next week will look at, it makes sense that we have to understand what began in Luke. So what was Luke saying in his gospel? What did Jesus begin in Luke's gospel? What was the reason for writing the first book? Well, Luke very clearly clearly tells us. Flick back with me again to Luke 1.1. Luke writes this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Now, now that is how we approach Acts, through Luke 1. And what is Luke's primary concern in his gospel? Well, his concern is to provide certainty in what has already been taught about what Jesus has already accomplished. And it's that concern of certainty that we start with this morning. Our first point of two on your service sheets. Luke writes to provide certainty in what Jesus has accomplished. How appropriate then that this is how we start this new uncertain year, is it not? In a world full of uncertainty, Luke seems to be bucking the trend of every commentator who has ever lived. He is convinced that we can be certain about Jesus. Now, very quickly, how does Luke do this? How does he convince Theophilus, his reader, that what is written and taught about this man Jesus is true and that what Jesus accomplished is trustworthy? How does Luke detail the accomplishments of the life of Jesus in a way that makes his reader certain of them? Well, look at his logic in Luke 1, 1 1-4. Just go through that with me. Luke records the things that Jesus has done, that is, the things that have been accomplished, verse 1, from reliable sources who are eyewitnesses of what Jesus did and ministers of the word, people who speak about him, verse 2. Those are his sources. And in so doing, he has followed all things closely for some time past, verse 3. That is, he has carefully investigated everything from these sources over a long period of time in order that he can provide a well-ordered account, that is, a a credible account that, that makes sense and can be verifiable, so that we may have certainty in what was taught about Jesus. Now, that is really helpful for us this morning. What we have in our hands in Luke Acts in other words, is a definitive, carefully thought through, carefully investigated, truly verifiable, orderly account of the life of Jesus who really lived. And and don't just take his word for it, but, but look at Luke's character. Luke wasn't just any old person who was trying to find out what was going on. He he was a doctor, um, a learned, intelligent, respected man who was a traveling companion of the the Apostle Paul himself. We read all of that biographical information about uh, Luke in Colossians. You can read that. And Luke himself would have been an eyewitness of the work, therefore, of the Apostles and their work with Jesus. 
Not only that, but he seems to have a patron in Theophilus, the, the person he is writing to. That was common in those days. Theophilus, a Greek, potentially wealthy, um, um, a lover of God, as his name seems to signify, he obviously wants to know what's going on, and he trusts Luke to tell him. But there's more. For it's not just Luke's character and his investigative prowess that gives us cause for certainty in Christ, but also the things about which he speaks in the gospel itself. For notice... Luke doesn't say, I'm writing an account about things which have happened among us. He says he is writing an account about things that were accomplished among us or or fulfilled among us. Now that provides a whole deeper layer to what Luke is doing. For you see, Luke isn't writing about a man who who burst onto the scene, did remarkable things, and and then disappeared. He's not merely providing a record of a remarkable few years and everyone forgets and goes about their business. No. He's writing about something that has long been predicted and prophesied and talked about for millennia. You see, as much as the book of Luke has a sequel in Acts, it has a prequel found in the rest of the Bible leading right up until that point. The story of Christ is, in fact, the story of the entire history of the world. The story of Christ is the pinnacle of the story of salvation history. And can you see, therefore, as we sort of step back a little bit and and, and view all of it, that this is cause for real confidence? We literally see in the pages of this carefully investigated eyewitness account that what God said in his word would happen actually happened in Jesus. Not only could Theophilus verify these facts, in other words, with people on the ground and other eyewitnesses of the day, but he could verify the facts of what Jesus did and who he was with the rest of the Bible that speaks about him. Can you see? We see all these things fulfilled, accomplished in the pages of Luke as we see God's salvation plan worked out across the whole of the Bible. That means, doesn't it, that Jesus' life and work and words are not random, sporadic, half-formed, moralistic sentiment. His death wasn't just an unfortunate miscarriage of justice as he found himself in the wrong time and and the wrong place. His resurrection wasn't a pipe dream of a delirious group of desperate men. He wasn't someone who was merely loving and kind and generous and enlightened and helpful. Everything Jesus did is packed with deep spiritual meaning and purpose that befits the king of the universe as we see him walking off the pages of this gospel, as he points back to the pages of the the ancient faith in the Old Testament. Everything he does and says is in accordance with a premeditated, predetermined plan set in motion before the creation of the world. The plan which is the salvation plan of the ages as it is worked out by an almighty, holy God in our mortal, uncertain, everyday world. Jesus really lived. He was really the Son of God. He really died. He really rose from the dead. He really ascended into heaven. He is real. And it is all fact, true, and we can be certain of it. That's what Luke's gospel is all about. And if that does not give us confidence this morning as we face this year, if that doesn't give us certainty in the Jesus of the Bible as we face this year, then not much will. 
All the predictions of the commentators for this new year are at best sticking fingers in the air. We know we can't rely on them. Jesus stands in the middle of this gospel and fulfills everything the scripture said about him. It all hangs together off him, if you like. He wears it. It it all actually happened. We saw it with our own eyes, say the apostles. I investigated it carefully, says Luke. It, It matches with the Old Testament. You can check it for yourself. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the Son of God made flesh who dwelt among us and he really succeeded in what he said he would do. He did it. He won. It actually happened. And is that not supremely helpful for us this morning? Especially for those of us who are Christians. For as much as this kind of introduction is helpful for those who are investigating Christianity, and if that is you this morning, welcome. Sincerely, it's great to see you here at church. For for you who are are sceptics of Christianity, this really is what the New Testament is all about. Carefully ordered accounts of things that really happened in real time and space history concerning the man Jesus who really lived, written by those who were physically there, and the documents about him of which stand up to the most intense historical scrutiny. And and I challenge you this morning, if that is you, as, as thinking bright, independent adults, not to throw away Jesus without properly investigating these rigorously put together documents that speak about him. It would be foolish to do that. I'm sure you'd agree with me. But for those of us who are Christians, the same rigor of these gospel narratives that we know so well should not be lost on us. This is who Luke is writing to. Christians who need to know that what they know about Jesus, what has been taught to them about Jesus, is real and that we can be certain of that. My goodness, have some of us had a brutal 2018. And I'm not above admitting that at points I felt at the end of myself. Where you fear everything, you you doubt things you'd not doubted before. You question the goodness of God, you try and work out what he's doing. You're tempted to lose sight of Jesus. In the midst of failure and tiredness and deep, deep soul weariness. Some of us get to the point where we really genuinely feel that there are no more happy days left. And everything we have always assumed to have been real and certain and solid and immovable is removed in a heartbeat. What does Luke remind us of this morning? That the only constant certain thing that I could possibly cling to in these moments of deep darkness and uncertainty and doubt is Jesus. He fulfilled the whole of the scriptures. The predictions about him were all realized. The plan God put in place to save all those who follow him actually happened. Jesus really died. He really rose again from the dead. And that means then, doesn't it, that every word he spoke must also be true. That means he really is the saviour of the world, the one who stands with me in suffering, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the only one to eternity, the one who bears my pain, who bears my sin as he cries at death, the one who gives me real life in his resurrection, the one who is preparing a place for me when I die. All that is real. I'm safe. 
It means Jesus really is the only answer to my desperate need for surety and safety in a very uncertain world. And as Luke starts with this powerful introduction of Christ's fulfillment, which gives us certainty that who he says he is is true, so he finishes his gospel in exactly the same way. Turn with me to the very end of Luke. Luke 24, 44 to 46. Let me read that for us. Page 885. Then Jesus said to his disciples... These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Exactly as Luke started, so he finishes. Instead, these are now not the words of commentary from Luke's mouth, but they are now the words of Jesus himself, verifying that everything written here is true. And as Luke intends that he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the whole of the Bible. It is very clear to see then that Luke writes so that we may have certainty in what has been taught about Jesus in looking at what he has already accomplished. We can be sure of that. But the story does not end there. Because Luke 24, 46 is not the last word of the gospel. Luke finishes, as all good books do, on a cliffhanger. Read with me the rest of Luke's gospel from verse 45 in that last chapter. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead, but there is more. Now that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising God. Christ suffered and died and rose again from the dead. But there is unfinished business to attend to, says Jesus. I now want the whole world to know that I suffered and died and rose again from the dead. Well, that brings us on to our second and last point this morning. For Luke, in writing his gospel, gives us certainty in what Jesus has already accomplished so that we may have certainty in what Jesus is doing now and right up until he returns. And that is the heart of the book of Acts. For Jesus' work is not done. It does not end with Jesus' ascension and the last verse of Luke. There is still so much work for Jesus to do on the earth. And this is a new age. And this is the new age that we are now living in. The age post the risen and ascended Lord, but an age where Christ is still very much active. An age where all nations will hear and respond to the words of the apostles that speak the truth about Jesus. And that is where Luke ends And that is where Acts starts, with a reminder that as Jesus leaves the earth in his risen body, that the new age of gospel progress, powered by his spirit, has now just begun. 
Luke's last verses in his gospel that we've just read and Luke's first few verses of the book of Acts show us definitively the introduction of this new age of global gospel progress. And and it shows us helpfully how these two fit perfectly together. Keep a body part in Luke 24, if you can, and flick forward to to Acts 1, uh, 1 to 8, and read that with me. Acts 1, 1 to 8. That's page 909. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now these verses that that start Acts are undeniably linked, aren't they, with the the last verses of Luke. These two bookend paragraphs say the same thing. And and, and let's just do a comparison with them both. It's helpful. In, in, In Luke 24, 46 to 49, we see Jesus outline three fundamental points of fulfillment one of which has already been accomplished and that's covered in depth in Luke's gospel and two of which are yet to be. And that gives us insight into what Acts is going to major on. Just work through these with me carefully. In the last few verses of Luke, we see first that Christ suffered and died and rose again from the dead, verse 46. Secondly, we see that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations, 47. And thirdly, we are told that the power for witnessing to the nations about Jesus will come through the Holy Spirit, verses 48 to 49. And that is exactly where Luke picks up in the book of Acts. Acts 1, 1 to 8, we see the three same things. Christ suffered and died and rose again from the dead, verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And then in verse 8, we see repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. And the power for that witness of Jesus will come through the Holy Spirit. But you, says Jesus, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As Luke finishes in his gospel, so he starts in Acts. That's the bridge. As Jesus commissions his disciples to be his apostles in Luke, so he does at the beginning of Acts. As he promises his spirit in Luke, so he does in Acts. As he promises that his gospel will spread to all nations in Luke, so he does at the start of Acts. And it is the fulfillment of that promise, of global gospel progress, of Jesus' unstoppable mission to seek and to save the lost, enacted through these normal but spirit-filled men with their confidence sky high in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the words that speak of him that we now see detailed in the rest of Luke's 28 chapters in Acts. And so can you see that as we reach this new age, as we approach the book of Acts, as we peer into the time beyond the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, so everything Luke has already given us confidence and certainty in. 
Everything he has reminded us about Jesus being the fulfillment of Scripture, everything that he has reminded us about who Jesus is and and what he said and what he did and why he did it, everything he has been reminding us about how reliable and accurate and careful his account of Jesus is, all of this, all of this certainty and supreme confidence in Jesus and in the words that he speaks and the words that speak about him, it is all brought to bear in almighty force on the book of Acts and on this new age of unstoppable gospel progress. In other words, we read Acts with the same bedrock certainty that we read Luke. And that is exactly where we need to be as we start this book together as a church. The knowledge that everything written here in Acts actually happened, just as it did in Luke's gospel. That the Jesus who is at work in this book is the same Jesus in Luke's gospel by way of his spirit meaning that the same salvation plan that Jesus enacted as introduced right at the beginning of the Old Testament is the same salvation plan being enacted here in Acts. And that helps us supremely this morning. Because the truth is, we are also involved in this new age of gospel progress. You see, we are up to our eyeballs in the unfinished business of the work of Christ in the world. And it is this new age that now helps us understand why confidence and certainty in Jesus and the words that speak about Jesus is so important. For it is not merely that we as Christians have certainty in who Jesus is so that we feel safe and secure in him as much as that is right and wonderful and necessary in everything that we've looked at this morning. But we have certainty in Jesus and the words that speak about him because we are now enlisted in the work to share those very words about this saving Jesus with the rest of the world. These words are our trade, Chalmers, Redeemer. These words are what we deal in. It's this or nothing. And in our confidence and certainty in Jesus and in his words, so we have confidence and certainty in our new job as Christians to continue his mission to seek and to save the lost. And you are all involved in that. And I am involved in that. That is Jesus' unfinished business. And it involves all believers except we're no longer walking beside the risen Lord Jesus anymore. Rather, we are now empowered by his Holy Spirit living inside of us. That gives us incredible confidence. It's not our responsibility. It's his. But we are tasked with doing his job with him. What a comfort this must have been to Theophilus. You can imagine him sitting in the gap between these two volumes, Asking the question, well, what happens next? His question is met with certainty in the words that speak of Christ. And his confidence is increased as he sees Jesus in Acts through the witness of the apostles drawing thousands upon thousands of people to himself. What a comfort this must have been to the disciples. Consider them sitting in the gap between these two ages, the age of the incarnate Christ and the age of the Spirit, asking the question, well, what happens next? Facing, humanly speaking, an age of real uncertainty as they see their Jesus literally disappearing from view. 
Well, their wondering is met with the certainty that the risen Lord Jesus was who he said he was. That the scriptures were right. And that they could trust, therefore, that his promise for his gospel to be spread to the ends of the earth will be brought to fruition. As Jesus himself promises to indwell them personally through his spirit. And so what a comfort it is to us sitting here this morning. Consider us as we sit on the cusp of a new uncertain year, of a new gospel year, with everything we wish to see happen by way of our gospel vision for this church, as we seek to plant Redeemer, a brand new local gospel church in this city, as we seek to build up our evangelistic endeavor and regain our desire to tell people about Jesus, as we desire to grow in radical godliness, as we desire to see people saved, so our uncertainty in this new year is met with the certainty that this same Jesus, this same gospel, this same salvation plan that has been detailed in the Bible and in Luke and continued in Acts, is the same Jesus, the same gospel, the same salvation plan that is present and active and working in the age that we now live in as we sit here this morning in Edinburgh on the 6th of January 2019. Isn't that incredible? And surely that fact that we are Christians sitting here this morning in Edinburgh on the 6th of January 2019 is a surefire sign that our confidence and certainty in Christ and in his words can be rock solid. For as we look at ourselves this morning 2,000 miles away and 2,000 years away from this book, the gospel has quite literally gone to the ends of the earth. Should that not give us incredible confidence as we step into this new year? Not confidence in our plans, necessarily, or our strategies. Those things may not well go as as we want them, as we expect, and, and things will happen that we don't want to. But confidence and certainty in Jesus, who will enact his purposes, and who will see his gospel at work, and who will establish his church, that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against. As he has never failed to do since he began. There are so many things we cannot be certain about in this year. So many big, global, national, individual things that we have no certainty in. But we can be certain of one thing. That the work of Jesus is relentlessly unstoppable that the words that speak about him are true and fundamentally reliable, that the gospel vision we wish to see as a church, even if it doesn't happen how we expect, is part of a relentless gospel-spreading history that has never failed since it began. And we can be certain that we, all of us, are called to be about Jesus' unfinished business, not in our own strength wonderfully, in the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father God, thank you and praise you so much for these words that we've been resting in this morning. Heavenly Father God, thank you that they really, really do give us confidence in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man so that he could live among us, Lord, of the things that he taught about his kingdom breaking into this world, 
as we see him die for our sake, suffering alongside us and raising again from the dead so that we know that everything that he said was true. And Heavenly Father, as we see him here on the cusp of the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, as we see Jesus ascend into heaven, we are filled with certainty by the leaving of his Holy Spirit that his gospel will prevail and that we are not alone. Heavenly Father, God, I pray very much for us as a church this new uncertain year. Father God, please may we put our certainty not in our plans, but in you. Lord, we do pray for the things that we'd love to see, for the gospel progress we'd love to see happen in this city, in the communities that we wish to, to, to be in here in Morningside and we wish to plant in, in uh, the southwest side of Edinburgh. Lord, for Chalmers and Redeemer, for all the churches we know that hold to the truth of the gospel, Father God, may they flourish. And may we see your gospel enacted and your kingdom here in this part of our world, we pray. Heavenly God, Father God, we thank you and we praise you. We give you all the glory with great joy. Amen.